the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Grab yourself 40% off that first year subscription and download the app today. That's theathletic.com slash SpotTrack. My name is Mike Giannetti. Big baseball show, a singular baseball show. Julio Rodriguez signed that big extension. Many of us, including Cousin Dan, thought was going to happen. It's a big one. It's a complicated one. It's going to take an episode to break it down. I'm going to do that next. I have a supporting article on spotrate.com that was posted this morning. So you can read, you can listen. You should get all the content you need with Julio Rodriguez and the Seattle Mariners, who are fringe playoff contenders right now. Probably going to make it in. I had to project that situation out. Um, but first, I do want to talk some NFL. There's lots to get to. I mean, it's fantasy time. I'm, I'm in dynasty mode. I'm in snake draft mode. I'm, you know, I've got a little bit of everything in terms of that content. I'm, I'm in gambling mode. I've already placed, I don't know, four NFL bets personally here. And I'm considering a few more. There's a lot of good content right now spinning around the podcast world with that. I, I'm, I'm sitting on MVP because I like to, to at least, you know, fantasy-wise, I'm into players. So I'm trying to figure out futures, players, bets here, props, MVP picks, things like that. I can't get my brain off Lamar Jackson. And I thought it was worth discussing here off the top because we've had decent discussions, maybe not in a while here, about where he's headed. And Cousin Dan and I kind of butted heads in terms of where that division stands. Certainly now the Watson stuff maybe has changed that approach for a lot of us. Why why can't Lamar Jackson win the MVP? I'm going to poke a hole in this right out of the gate because I love it, actually. I think that the storyline, the... The lack of contract, which is probably appealing to voters, right? He's betting on himself, and that's probably a plus one for him. However, is it a, is it a minus one for his approach to the season? Now, he's a gamer. This is not a guy that went to USC and was a top prospect quarterback. He had to, you know, he had to be himself and be unique and be creative, and he was certainly in the right Louisville offense for that. And I think he's in the perfect offense for himself now. And I've had a lot of discussions about where the hell are these wide receivers? Mark Andrews is the best option on this team. The running backs can't stay healthy, yada, yada, yada. But Ravens people continuously say this, and I do think it's the right thing. They have built a team around him. They have built a Lamar Jackson Baltimore offense. It took a couple of years. It looked great two years ago. It regressed a little last year. Tons of injuries. Tons. Okay. Um, Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson have a thing, and it's a real thing. And maybe Bateman takes that step forward. Certainly, he's going to have to with Hollywood Brown out the door. But my point is this. I don't think they feel like they're offensively deficient right now. I think they feel like they finally have the right offense to let this guy cook. My only point is, will he cook? Or will he be thinking? Or will he make a conscious decision? And by the way, there's no agent on the phone saying, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. We're going to get that coin. He may think that. He may have confidence, but he gets hit once against TJ Watt in inner division. And he may think, go home and think that night, man, I got to be careful here. I got to be careful. And I know, look, Dak got his money, even though he was hurt. He was on the tag. He was getting big coin. He's, Lamar Jackson's entering the fifth year option here. It's good coin. It's similar to where Dak was on that tag. So there is a reference point here. But I can't get in his head. You know, I, I can't be the coach in front of him saying, you're going to be fine. Play this thing out. Do everything we tell you to do. Be Lamar. Go out there and cook. 
I do think there's a, a logical reason, a logical path to say, if week one gets here and that $250 million contract is not here, and that's what it's going to have to be, by the way, and $200 million, that's going to have to be guaranteed. That's just where we are right now. Kyler Murray's got 200 and change guaranteed, practically speaking, over six years. So even if you're not going to fully guarantee 247 and, and get yourself ahead of Watson, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to go Kyler Murray's guarantees. That's just where we are. Unless you want to go three years fully guaranteed and, and get Lamar to take it. He might do that. My point is, if there's no contract here on September 8th or September 10th or 11th, whenever the Baltimore Ravens actually play their first game, where is his mindset going to be? Now, Dak was great. Dak went out there without his contract and was a legitimate MVP candidate for a month and a half. And his injury was freakish, but his injury came running the ball, something he was doing actively that season, something that was new to that Dallas offense. He was taking what the defense was giving him. If that's what the defense is going to give Lamar Jackson this year, and it's very well possible because there's not a legitimate wide receiver on that team right now. They're going to have to play Mark Andrews, eight yard outs, crossing patterns. It's going to be a big linebacker set, which by the way, Pittsburgh can handle. I think Cincinnati can handle. I don't know about that Cleveland D, but certainly the Cleveland defensive line will be able to, to dis- be disruptive with Lamar. My point is this. He could be entering a situation that is ultra risky for him. Ultra risky. Because there's even less firepower wide receiver-wise without Hollywood Brown. He may be asked to do a lot more. And that's, a good, that's good news for a guy looking to get paid. But it's risky news. And if it's in his head, and week one is here, and that contract is not signed, would you put your money down on this guy? Because, because box one says this is the perfect situation for a guy to go out there and show the world exactly why he, earned, he deserves $250 million. And he's going to win the MVP because of it. And it's a great story and blah, blah, blah. The voters might lean in that direction. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in that box with you. But box two is, is he the kind of guy that can handle that situation mentally, right? Because if it's in his head, he will change his gameplay, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, but there are, there are athletes out there that have this in front of them. And if, if you haven't had this happen before, how are you going to handle yourself when we get here? We're, we're at that point. There's kind of a, a railroad crossing here with where money meets Money in business meets football. That's where he's headed. I still think he's going to be fine. I still think he can go out there, be hurt week eight, and get $200 million. I really do. And there's plenty of evidence now over the past five years or so to, to prove that quarterbacks, wide receivers, edge rushers, to some degree secondary guys, can sustain these kind of injuries and still find coin. Great coin. Elite coin. Because of the pedigree they brought to the table prior to it. So I'm not out here crying for anybody. I'm simply just saying, as I'm sitting here with my $100 bill, and I look at 20 to 1 for Lamar Jackson, and I think, man, there's a lot of reasons to go with box one. There's a big box two. That's all. That's all. So let's say it doesn't happen. Would you rather spend $100 on 20 to 1 Lamar Jackson or 16 to 1 Russell Wilson? who I think have parallel but very different circumstances. And by the way, Stafford and Brady and Peyton 
and keep going, right? Th- this this veteran superstar quarterback changing team pattern has now been successful a little too much over the past five years, more than I ever would anticipate with mathematically. So why wouldn't this one work? And isn't he going to be the storyline, regardless of why Denver's doing what they're doing, right? If Javante Williams is a monster, and I think a lot of people are assuming he's going to be a monster as a supplementary piece of that offense. If Bradley Chubb, who's looking for money, finally resurrects himself, you know, with Randy Gregory on the other side of that line and gets his job done and gets 15 sacks, it's still going to be Russell Wilson, who is the headliner for this entire team. And if this is the team that's certainly atop that division, which would be a storyline in itself, I can't see how he wouldn't be carrying the day because he's just taking on the torch of Matthew Stafford last year, Tom Brady two years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I'm leaning in that direction in terms of the guys that are, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 to one or higher. Russell's currently 16 to one at Caesars. Jackson, you can get 20 to one pretty much across the board here. But I wonder if the Russell Wilson stuff is boring us a little bit because we have seen it three out of the last four years. And, and maybe if you take the other approach, the other side of that coin, it's just sitting there to be taken. Take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It seems like nobody's taken it. Maybe they did early and that's been deflated a little bit because obviously the Allen stuff, now the Mahomes stuff is really getting pushed. Brady's back in here. Rogers is saying things out loud on Joe Rogan and things like that that are going to put him back into some money, money situation. Even though I don't know how you'd bet on a guy to three P that just seems like something a room of reporters would never do, but I get it. And then you got your Herbert and your burrow. There's a lot of people in front. So, it's simply, a, to me, it's simply just a situation where we have a lot of good quarterback play and Russell Wilson and his story are like ninth on the list and Lamar and his story, and again, you could take it positive or negative like I laid out, are 20th. I mean, 20 to one with all these quarterbacks ahead of him. Kyler Murray, Dax ahead of him. You know, like I mentioned, everybody out of the AFC basically is ahead of him. And then Brady sitting out there at nine to one. There's a lot of big names in front that I think will get thrown by the wayside eight weeks in, just because, A, the divisions are just battling back and forth, blah, blah, blah. But if Denver and Russell look anything like Stafford and, and Cup and that entire Rams team did last year, if it starts to resemble that at all, that's going to be the headline. Here we go again. And you're going to hear nonstop, Russell Wilson is back. Russell Wilson is back. He just needed a new change of scenery. The Pete Carroll system was growing stale on him. He's here. He's got his own situation. He was basically able to handpick this whole situation with a brand new coach, offensive coordinator, yada, yada, yada. It's a new owner. There's so much to attract himself. Now, I, I tend to look at this when I w- did the over-under piece with Dan, and I said, there's, to me, there's too much new. So I, I think personally, I wouldn't take Denver in a Super Bowl bet or an overs bet. There's a lot to overcome. But value picking an MVP to me, Russell Wilson has a ton of value sitting here because if it goes well, and we have evidence to say it very well could, he's going to jump from 16th on this list headline-wise to one. 
And we're all going to be able to drag ourselves through it. We're going to have to. And the same with Lamar. If Lamar has that Dak Prescott moment where the first five or six weeks, he is just the guy. You know, 500 rushing yards because he's averaging 90 a game. He's finally getting some, uh, some deep threats out of the air because Bateman's actually now a guy who can get open. Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews. The running backs are catching balls out of the backfield. That's a very realistic scenario for the first six weeks, especially with, you know, some of the teams in their division taking a bit of a step back. If he gets out of the gate hot and he's loading up the stat board, he's going to go from 20 to one on this list, right? He's going to be the story, the headline, not just because Lamar Jackson itself is exciting and must see TV, but he's got the contract hanging in front of him. If he doesn't sign that deal and he becomes the headline, the contract will be part of this conversation and will actually become a reason for people to, to continue to watch him more and more and more and more. Wow, he's great. And oh, by the way, he's going to get paid. Now maybe even more. Now is it more than 50 a year? Now is it going to be you know, approaching Aaron Rodgers' numbers, but on a five-year contract? There's just a lot of places the, uh, the hot stove people can take this if and when Lamar is the leader out of the gate. So to me, those are the interesting two value decisions I'm looking at right now. But uh, the biggest takeaway, and if you've done any kind of fantasy work, is this is just a league full of good quarterbacks right now. We're in a crazy good time of good quarterback play, and we shouldn't take it for granted. And oh, by the way, don't overdraft. You're going to be happy with a guy in the 10th round. Promise. Not, you know, it's not going to be Josh Allen numbers at the end of the day, but if you're stuck with Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins, you're going to be just fine. Just fine. Okay, let's talk some baseball here. As I mentioned in the open, Julio Rodriguez becomes the next young superstar, 21 years old, to lock in his contract extension. And it's nothing like these other deals that we've laid out. Austin Riley recently, Michael Harris, Jordan Alvarez, uh, just to name a few. And that's just really in the past couple of weeks here. This one's big, bold, conditionalized, the works, right? I couldn't even figure out how to tweet the numbers originally. I mean, that's how complicated this was. There really wasn't a a true base value. And then even the number that was originally reported got chopped down by a year and chopped down a couple of million dollars. It was just a, uh, just a weird situation. But here we are. I have the numbers. I have the breakdown. I've done a piece on spotchart.com that breaks down all the elements of this contract, including where the Mariners stand um, financially, sp- specifically for 2023 and how it pertains to the tax and things like that. So I'm going to lay out as much of that as possible here, but I, I would definitely recommend reading that piece because I can say it a lot better with the uh, typed words than I can with verbal words and uh, not get too numbery, too mathematical on the, on the podcast here. But I will try to break it down here over the next few minutes. So at, on its base, on its head, there's a $15.3 million signing bonus that's going to get paid out over the next two months. Now, technically, that's part of this year, but... I think from an accounting standpoint, they can basically say that starts in the offseason. So it's going to be a 2023 contract. It's not a current rip up 2022 and build 2022 into this deal. It's we're going to ride out this minimum salary this year. And then there's this gigantic extension that starts next year, which is pretty typical when it comes to these kind of contracts and certainly with the NHL extensions and things like that. So 15.3 15.3 million in terms of the signing bonus. Like I said, that'll be paid out in the next 60 days. And then we get into the base salaries over the next seven seasons through 2029. Pretty standard stuff from there. So it's about 4 million, 10 million, and then 18 million all the way through. 
the chunk that I want to take out of that, though, is 2025 through 2027, that three-year span. That was going to be his arbitration based on a full year this year, two years of pre-arb, and then three years of arbitration starting in 2025. He's going to make $18 million each of those years, minimum, plus award bonuses. So that's $54 million right off the top. That's, that's extremely good coin. And that looks a lot different than Austin Riley, than a lot of these bigger deals that have been signed recently. Even Tatis Jr., his arbitration was, was markedly lower than this. In other words, for all the conditionals that I'm about to talk about in the next few minutes here, when, when we get to 2030 and, and, and what can happen and how much control the team has versus how much control the player has, for all, all that was negotiated there, this was very much in his favor. So the middle portion of the next seven years, the arbitration portion, is a very good number for Julio Rodriguez. $54 million is that's Bryce Harper. That's Mike Trout. That's the kind of respect that this contract says to me out loud. And there's a full no-trade clause. There's a whole bunch of award bonuses. And there's a ton of money built into uh, you know, more bonuses, as I'll get to in a minute here. But all of that says this isn't a young kid who may make it. This, the structure of this contract, the numbers in this contract, and specifically this arbitration piece here, screams to me, Oh, no, no, no. We know what this guy is already. And I realize we're talking about a couple hundred plate appearances. They already know what this guy is. This wasn't a negotiation of, we want to get this done now because we need some value. This was a negotiation of, oh, you're Mike Trout. <laughs> okay. And we're going to build a contract that can surpass Mike Trout because it better. It's years later. The tax and the CBA are all brand new. It better be bigger than that. But we're going to segment it so that it looks a little bit better for us and actually gives us a bit of an out. It looks a lot better for you and actually gives you a little bit of an out. And if we're right, and you are who you, we think you are, this is going to be the longest and biggest contract in the history of the sport. And, and that's what I'm getting. I'm foreshadowing what I'm about to break down here, but that is what this is. This is not, I think Austin Riley might win a couple of MVPs. So we better, overpay here in the middle of this thing you know we can but we can give ourselves a break here during his arbitration which is good for us good for our team because we're in winning mode right now nothing wrong with that and i applaud the braves for doing that anything anytime i have to applaud the braves you know i'm miserable but i i'm doing it right now um just for reference austin riley's arbitration piece is pretty darn similar here okay because he's got four years of arbitration so he's in the 55 to 60 range arbitration-wise as well. But then it flatlines and comes down at the end. There's no outs. There's a, there's a team option at the end of his. To some degree, these, these sort of line up, except for his is very vanilla and Julio's is very conditional. I think both teams see multiple MVPs, multiple batting titles. I think in Rodriguez's case, multiple home run titles, right? not Derby actual league year, most home runs in the, in the American League. I, I think that's very much in the back of these minds and built into these contracts. And for Riley, we've already seen uh, you know, a top five finish, things like that. All that's coming for Julio Rodriguez. And it's not hyperbole and it's not, you know, all the scouting points say this, so we, we should just kind of go. No, everybody who knows anything about this, and I'm taking myself out of this, I'm reading the contract, and understanding what smarter people are saying about this. 
like I said, this was negotiated as, oh, you're it. <laughs> you're not maybe going to be it. You're it. And just in case, you know, the 1% chance that you're not, we'll get ourselves out in eight years. But when you are, not only are we going to kick this thing out, basically double the contract from, from a year standpoint, but depending on how, just how it you are and how good you are, we're willing to go an extra 20, an extra 40, an extra 60, an extra 80, an extra two years just to be able to say, we got this guy. So let's get to it because nothing that I just said like is hyperbole, nothing. It's literally, I'm reading the numbers of a contract and turning it into English words, okay? Here's, here we go. That's how complicated this is. Like I said, it's, a, it's 119.3 million for the next seven years. After 2028, which is a year before that first segment ends, the Mariners or whatever team he's on, and I have to, I have to bake that in because trades happen, will have to decide on the next element, the next eight years or so in terms of a club option. And that has to happen after the 2028 season, so sometime in the winter of 2028 going into 2029. And it's all based on MVP vote. That entire club option is based on MVP vote. If he wins one of them, he's almost certain to have a club option that is eight years, $280 million, $35 million per year. And I think that's where we're headed. I think he's going to win an MVP. And all he has to do is win one and be top five in another year. And he guarantees that eight-year 280. Now, Seattle can turn it down. There's five thresholds of a club option. Eight for 200, eight for 240, eight for 260, eight for 280, and 10 for 350. And 10 for 350 is two MVPs or four top fives over the next seven seasons. So again, this is the club option. This isn't a player option. This isn't, he can choose his own destiny here. If he wins an MVP, then he'll have the option this is, if he wins an MVP, the team is agreeing to pay him $80 million more. <laughs> That's what we have here. It starts at eight for 200. If he wins one and is top five any other year, it's eight for 280, $80 million increase. Huge, massive, massive. So again, this is the Mariners saying, we know you're it and we're willing to pay you every time you prove it. Every time you become the best player in the American League we're going to throw a ton more money at you. Basically an entire year's worth of salary at you. And the 10 for 350 is two MVPs or four top fives. Possible. He may win two MVPs in 2023 and 2024. Lock that thing in. I'm going to cross out the other options because that becomes a club option. It's possible. Now, let's say this thing gets weird. And for some reason, and it may be that the Mariners just suck in 2028 and they're just not in the right place to add $200 million to their payroll, which is what the, the option would be at a minimum. They can decline it. They can decline it, which would immediately trigger a player option. Now that trigger op that player option right now, as it stands is five for 90, five years, 90 million through 2034. But even that has conditionals. If he combines four, eight silver sluggers or all-star selections. 
So maybe four or four, or five and three, whatever it's going to take. That becomes five for 100. If it's combined 10, five for 110, there's a path to get to five to 125. So in this regard, he can play himself. He can hit himself into 35 million more in terms of the player option. I can't imagine this thing gets to the player option, but it's important because it adds to the initial base value. So just to bring this back full circle, and again, there's a whole article on spotchart.com where you can see all this and read all this out at your own pace to understand how this works. But just to finish with this, the reason that when you look at spotchart.com, the contract says 12 years, 209.3 million, is it's the 119.3 million over the next seven years, the signing bonus plus the seven years of salary, plus that five-year, $90 million player option. We have to assume that a player option is guaranteed because it's the player's choice. It's not the team's choice. Nobody else can tell the player that he can't make that money. It's only the player himself that can say no. So we factor that into the initial contract, and that's how we get to $209.3 million. So from a tax perspective, and I know that's what a lot of you care about out there, it's $17.4 million starting next year on Seattle's tax. Not very much. <laughs> okay? Not very much. And the reason that it stays that low is that they segmented this as seven years now, eight years later. Once it gets into the club option situation, it's going to jump up to the numbers that I talked about. Minimum 25 a year, possibly 35 a year. At most, 35 a year with that club options average salary. So there will be a point in time when he's, a very, when he's expensive. But guess what? By 2030, the CBT, you know, the CBT threshold should be well north of where it is now, which is 233 for next year. So they will be able to handle that. He's only going to be 29 years old at that time when, when the club option kicks in. And like I said, it's, it could range from 25 to 35 million, which should be totally tenable because we've got players making 43 right now in Max Scherzer on the tax payroll. So I love the way this is structured. I think it's extremely smart for a player that, like I said, is not being showcased. They already know what they have. And they weren't going to screw around with, well, should we do this? Should we do this? In other words, Juan Soto. Now, Juan Soto was never going to sign because he's a Boris client. But this, to me, should become the new model for, we have a superstar. How do we keep him? Let's look at this. Let's, let's build in protection for us, protection for him, a ton of money for him, a, a, a seven-year span of good tax payroll, right? They could have kept this guy at three, four million per year on average over the next four years and then significant jumps in year two and three of arbitration. They could have gone the Aaron Judge route, you know, and, and, and had significant tax savings for the next four to five years. And instead, they're going to say, no, no, no. We'd rather have significant tax savings for eight years, even if it means it's going to cost us more from a tax and cash perspective over the next three years during his pre-arbitration. I like that how that works out because no team should ever be worried about paying or, or accounting for $17 million on your tax payroll for a guy that you believe is going to be the MVP at least twice. If that's your case, this is the route to go. Stop trying to nickel and dime a $750,000 salary and saying, well, we're going to build around him. No, no, no. This is what you do right here. 
you throw it out there, you put your foot down and say, you're our guy. Here's all the reasons why. Hopefully the same ones I just laid out. Hopefully I'm reading this properly. We're more than happy to overpay you for a few years here in your youth. I mean, markedly overpaid because you're the guy. And instead of using your team control as a, as a vice and a crutch to add other players, we're going to reward you for being our centerpiece. You're going to help us out and make, make sure it's not $35 million a year right now. It's 17. And we're going to continue to add pieces because we've only got $80 million invested into our tax next year on a 233 threshold. You know, maybe 110 when you talk about arbitration salaries and things like that. We got room. We got 100 million plus to go out there and add another pitcher, a, a, a good closer, a bat to, to put in front of you in the lineup to cover your ass. They're going to be able to do this now. And putting their foot down with this guy and putting this kind of contract out there, a contract that if it runs the gamut, if it's seven for 119, like I said now, and he gets two MVPs, and that club option becomes 10 for 350. We're talking 18 years, 463.9 million. That's where we're headed. 469.3 million, almost 470. That's what we have here. So that's massive. That's something I didn't think I'd be ever saying out loud. You know, and I know we're talking 500 million for Soto and yada, yada, yada. The term, the structure, the creativity of this one really blew me away. And I give Seattle a hell of a lot of credit. And by the way, I'm excited now. This is a guy whose contract makes me want to watch him more because of how much they've invested both from finances and confidence in this guy. So that's Julio Rodriguez. Put him on your must-watch list. Put him on your, uh, you know, your MLB League Pass watch list. Seattle's going to make the postseason. And that's part of this as well. And once they do, and he gets a little bit more national attention, not that he didn't get enough of the home run derby, but once he gets some postseason attention, it's going to be the start of this whole process. And then starting next year, from day one, he'll be on MVP watch. Because every year that he's at least in the MVP conversation, it's millions of dollars added to his contract. Millions. And that's super exciting. So we'll be certainly following that on an annual basis. All right, any questions on this? At SpotTrek on Twitter. Again, there's a decent-sized piece breaking all this down in word form on SpotTrek.com on the homepage right now and certainly on Julio's page as well. And uh, I don't think we're done. I think there will be more young Major League Baseball extensions coming because of how this worked out, because of agents seeing this, these kind of breakdowns and now understanding that the bar has been reset and we don't have to do Boris-type contracts. We can do these kind of creative contracts and everybody can win and everybody can be happy. And I love it. And I hope we see a lot more of it soon. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app, personalize it, and tell them where you came from. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. 